to the Healthcare Leaders Podcast, where you get to hear from leaders working in the trenches to provide better care. I'm your host, Sam Mullen. In today's episode, I'm going to speak with world-renowned orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Jack Burt. We discuss where orthopedics has come in the last 40 years and where there is significant opportunity to improve care. Orthopedics is the single highest cost for patients under the age of 65. If you have any questions or notes, visit our website at www.gomdirect.com slash podcast and send us a note. Here's Dr. Burt. All right. Thanks. We have uh, Dr. Burt here. Dr. Burt, do you want to quick give everybody a, a background on yourself and just a quick introduction? Certainly. Thanks, Sam. So I'm a board certified orthopedic surgeon and have been so for the past 40 years. I trained at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and then began private practice uh, literally 40 years ago in the St. Paul area. I retired from a large orthopedic group about seven years ago, and I've spent a good deal of my time now teaching other orthopedic surgeons in both uh, practice management uh, issues as well as uh, osteoarthritis of the knee and various types of knee conditions. I'm an adjunct clinical professor at the University of Minnesota. I'm involved in teaching experiences throughout the United States and internationally, anywhere between eight and 12 times per year. And I do teach for the Arthroscopy Association of North America, where I'm the past president. Uh, that's in a group of about 5,400 orthopedic surgeons who basically practice in sports medicine, arthritis conditions of the knee and shoulder and hip. Uh, and we have an annual meeting and we teach approximately a dozen courses every year at the Orthopedic Learning Center in Chicago, where we have a cadaver lab. Furthermore, I teach for the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons uh, at our annual meeting and usually at least one cartilage course uh, during the year. I'm also on the retired NFL Players Association, so I get to get together with uh, a group of uh, retired NFL players, usually a couple times a year. And we discuss uh, issues that are pertinent to them with respect to the arthritis that they've developed and quite honestly, some of the concussion ramifications that have occurred as a result of playing over the past 20, 30, even 40 years. Some of these gentlemen are uh, quite old and uh, in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I've published over 72 articles, 22 book chapters on subjects relating to knees uh, and practice management issues. One of the other aspects of my career has been that I started an independent medical evaluation company back in 1995. We just sold it uh, four years ago. And uh, of interest uh, to those of you who uh, are interested in workers' comp, personal injury cases from the insurance side, um, it's a $26 billion industry throughout the United States. Uh, Our little company in Minnesota was bought out by a company that does $1 billion of independent medical exams every year. And that appears to be growing on an annualized basis. And so uh, I've had a tremendous amount of experience in workers' comp uh, injuries, personal injuries, the legal aspects as well as the clinical aspects of that um, particular aspect of orthopedics. At this point in time, I'm just clinically working two days a week. I basically have focused my specialty on knees. Uh, And uh, as noted here, you're going to hear a little bit more about what we've done in the practice management aspect of developing uh, MD Direct, which hopefully we think is going to dramatically reduce the cost of care 
for employers throughout the country. Thanks, Dr. Burtz. Can you describe a little bit of how orthopedics has changed in the last 40 years, just where it kind of started and just some of the trends that you've seen? Absolutely. So it's really fascinating because back when I was at the Mayo Clinic, we were just starting to do total joints. We never did any arthroscopy, believe it or not, during my residency. And it just started in the early 80s where I literally had to go to uh, Michigan to learn how to do orthopedics from one of the pioneers, a gentleman by the name of Lanny Johnson, who's now in his mid-80s, um, and learn how to do that particular procedure. I was one of the first three people in Minnesota to, to be doing arthroscopy of the knee. What happened is that literally that entire subspecialty exploded so that now we do arthroscopy of the shoulder, the knee, uh, the ankle, the foot, the elbow, the hip, um, and even there's been some arthroscopy of wrists in the small joints of the hand and feet. This has allowed patients to be benefited by not having major surgical procedures done for conditions that hopefully now can be treated with a very tiny arthroscope or a little bit bigger arthroscope so that we can do all of these procedures that we used to do with one to two to three day length of stays as outpatients. Um, that's probably been the biggest change. Uh, secondly, we're starting to understand orthobiologics. And what I mean by that is everybody's heard about stem cells. Um, and the truth of the matter is the ones in the United States are not terribly helpful uh, compared to other types of injectables for arthritis of various joints, including something called viscosupplementation, which is hyaluronic acid, which is the fluid that lubricates your joints. We do have substitutes we can inject into all the joints of the human body. We also can take blood from the arm and spin it down and get something called platelet-rich plasma. And what that material is, is full of growth factors from the blood that's in your body after it's spun down. And we can inject that into joints and get pretty good results as well. We also have long-acting cortisones uh, that can stay in the joint now for four to five months. These were just approved two years ago. Uh, I'm using a lot of those. And then I've done a few stem cell injections. The problem with stem cells in the United States is we're not allowed to culture and expand the cells because of the FDA restrictions. Uh, honestly, the FDA thinks we're going to clone people. We really can't do that uh, with the techniques even available throughout the world. And so Latin America now has a huge, huge... Um, population of people coming from all over the world to have injections done because they can get 20 times more stem cells than we can out of bone, fat, blood, or amniotic tissue. So Jack, when, when somebody asks you if they think they should do stem cells, is it what, what usually is the response or what's, what is the information that you're kind of working for? Is it uh, clinic specific or is it the, have they tried another uh, injection? Great question, Sam. So uh, I actually published an article on this in the Journal of Orthopedics in 2018, uh, and we talked about the various uh, types of injectables. I wrote this with a couple of fellows uh, that had traveled with me, and we went through all the various injectables. And the truth is, when somebody comes in asking for stem cells, I always try one of the other injectables first for several reasons. Number one, the success rates with our ability to culture stem cells uh, and obtain them from the body um, are about two to three percent better than just using PRP, which is 
something we can do in the office by taking blood and spinning it down. And even the visco supplementation, which is still covered by a lot of the insurers. And so the honest answer is, is when somebody comes in from stem cells, I try to discourage them. There's a lot of these uh, stem cell uh, clinics. They're really factories where people are being promised these phenomenal results and it's just not true. And so at the end of the day, you get 72 to 74% improvement with stem cells. You get about 68 to 72% improvement with PRP or visco supplementation. And if you have end stage arthritis, the long-term steroids now will give you pretty good pain relief for 12 to 14, even 16 weeks. And so I tend to push the other injectables as opposed to stem cells, which can cause upwards of $5,000 because the kits are so expensive. Sometimes we have to take patients to the operating room to harvest their fat, which gives you the highest percentage of stem cells, believe it or not, about 20% from fat and only 1% from bone, blood, or amniotic tissue. So um, the answer to your question, and I, it's a very long answer I just gave you, and I apologize for that, is I try to discourage stem cells because the truth of the matter is they're not much better, which is available today for a much lower cost. So thanks, and I think I think we get that question a lot when we're talking to uh, different types of employers on what types of uh, treatments they would recommend. So can you give me a, a little bit of the, when you think about orthopedics, the state that it's in today and looking towards the future, what do you kind of see as the key variables or factors that you uh, think that uh, like a broker or an insurance agent would be needing to think about? Yeah, it's another good question. Um, honestly, because of the ability that we have had at MD Direct looking at claims analyses, I can tell you for a fact that uh, there's a lot of significant uh, overcharging that's occurring and overutilization that's occurring. And I know this because in my experience working in a big group, uh, it was not uncommon for us to prescribe long periods of physical therapy uh, and utilize high cost MRIs. Um, and the truth of the matter is, is that there's a lot of data that has been published to date that shows that the vast majority of the therapy, um, the treatment that is, that is prescribed can be done at home after simply offering one or two physical therapy treatments. There's a lot of uh, visual um, training that's online. And we actually use these avatar handouts where if you go to a therapist and he hands you an avatar handout showing someone doing these exercises on paper, and if you just follow these, the truth of the matter is the literature now shows that one good supervised physical therapy training and perhaps one more for follow-up when you look at patients six to eight weeks after a surgical procedure or after an injury, their results are equivalent as opposed to those that have therapy three times a week for four to six weeks, which is an enormous cost. Once you add up all the modalities of care, which is usually 30 to $40 per modality, in other words, anywhere between 160 to $200 per visit, you add that up over six weeks as opposed to just one visit with perhaps multiple modalities during that one visit, but a home program, and you look at the cost differential, you save virtually 80 to 90% uh, of the cost of doing a supervised structured therapy program, either physical therapist or chiropractic over a four to six week period. 
So I think it's critical for uh, everyone to understand that that's what occurs. And interestingly enough, um, I tend to read uh, four or five journals every month. Um, and there was a recent uh, couple of articles from the Journal of Arthroplasty, which is the term for joint replacement. And I'm a member of the American Academy of um, uh, arthro uh, I'm sorry, uh, arthroplasty uh, hip and knee surgeons and one of the founding members back in the 1980s. And so we get journals every month and we have two meetings a year. And there was just an interesting article showing that patients after total knee replacement who have structured physical therapy do just as well as those that only have one physical therapy visit uh, when you look at them at six weeks. So you think about spending thousands of dollars on structured physical therapy as opposed to one physical therapy a training session and seeing those patients at six weeks doing the same, you realize the tremendous cost that's occurring today in patients having uh, structured therapy for prolonged time periods after a total joint. The other really abused area is chiropractic care. And uh, in several states, one of which is Minnesota, it seems that there's a cap of eighteen to twenty thousand dollars, which the insurers tend to pay rather rapidly. And again, if you look at chiropractic care and what it does, and I've kept track of patients after independent medical exams and how they well they do after chiropractic care, the truth of the matter is is that chiropractic care helps the patient anywhere between two hours to one day to two days max. Uh, helps relieve their symptoms and they go right back to baseline. So again, when you look at those patients, much like physical therapy, if they get one to two chiropractic visits, and then you look at them in a six weeks, as opposed to those that are getting chiropractic care three times a week, they all end up about the same. So I think that's what's the most amazing thing uh, when you look at it, having a, a broad background in doing independent medical exams, which I still do today, and I continuously ask patients, well, gee, how long did this chiropractic care help you for? And they say, well, help me for maybe the morning or the afternoon or till the next day. And then you have to sit there and go, well, what's the point? I mean, to be real honest with you. So um, what I can tell you is, is that there's a lot of wasted costs in orthopedics. And that not only occurs with the conservative care, but the surgical charges as well, which we can talk about if you'd like. Yeah, I think that would be interesting. And that sounds like from the conservative standpoint, there is a lot of evidence um, that's pointing to, are we doing too much of it and what should we be doing? So it seems like there's some good guidance for patients and, and uh, employers to kind of work through that. Uh, when looking at kind of the surgical field and surgical realm, what are just some things that you noticed today? Yeah, well, your, your last conclusion is exactly right about conservative care. Uh, the surgical uh, issues are very significant as well. And again, we know from our claims analyses when we compare these large clinics, multi-specialty clinics that are doing orthopedics and charging $48,000, $50,000 for total joints, um, we know that, uh, and I know that because I've been doing outpatient jo total joints for over eight years, that at an ambulatory surgery center, we know that the actual cost of doing a total joint is somewhere between nine and $11,000. And if you can get the implant cost uh, down, you could actually do them for about 8,000. And there's groups around the country that have pointed that out that have a large experience in doing outpatient total joints. 
So when I hear of these forty and fifty thousand dollar charges, it, it's really upsetting to me because there's so much profitability uh, doing that, and there's no excuse for it. Um, almost everybody in the United States has patients in the hospital for a maximum one day, potentially two, and so the cost of care even for an inpatient stay should be no more than fourteen to fifteen thousand um, dollars. And so when I hear about these horrendous charges, it, it's 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 awful uh, to be quite frankly and totally unethical in my opinion to be charging forty to fifty to fifty five thousand dollars for a total joint replacement. It's just totally inappropriate in my opinion. Yeah, and it's interesting because you can kind of see these uh, kind of heat maps of where these prices are are very very high, and in some and in some uh, metro locations, the price has gone down significantly. Um, and it's just it seems like you know in a lot of the research that that I've done that there are just these places where I don't know what it is whether it's the competitive landscape, but the prices are are very very high, and so I think that's a huge disservice to those employers and then the employees themselves and the, and the patients themselves having to uh, manage through that. Yeah. Well, you know, Sam, one of the solutions for this is uh, what are called bundled payments, which you're extremely familiar with. And you've done a lot of work in this with, a, with the third largest orthopedic group in the country. And what you did show uh, is that uh, you can do bundled um, payments and if you do them properly, your complication rate is less than 1%. And that's been held true with other large groups in the country. So um, in the Midwest, and, uh, and I can tell you uh, this is uh, Chicago-based as well as uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul-based, uh, and even on some areas in the West Coast and in California, the average bundle payment is right around twenty-three dollars to $27,000, right in, in that area. And what, the, what a bundle payment means is, is that if I'm a surgeon, I'm going to perform that total joint for that amount, but I'm also going to cover 90 days of complications. So if the patient were to come back in and be readmitted for a problem, let's say um, a blood clot or swelling in their knee or an infection, which can really lead to a, a significant amount of expense, uh, that's my issue. Now, what I can do to, to uh, provide some security is I can get what's called stop loss insurance. And that's anywhere between four to 6% of the cost of the bundle. So that would cover an extra $50,000 of insurance coverage uh, if there's a complication. But even the biggest groups in the country, most of them, because they've been very successful at optimizing patients, making sure those patients are healthy enough to have an outpatient total joint, um, they don't even have insurance coverage because they've done so many of them and they figure, well, why should I pay that? I've, I've made thousands of dollars doing these cases. And so I'll take the risk of not having to worry uh, about uh, a readmission. So uh, the truth of the matter is what MD Direct is doing is we negotiate in every area we go into with a local provider group that is willing to do bundles. And so they will do them for outpatient arthroscopy of the knee, rotator cuff repairs, um, total joint replacements, um, which are really the three biggest ones that are, occur. And then we can know for sure what the actual cost is. So there's no guesswork. There's not this huge, huge differential in uh, expense. And just having patients go through a bundled program 
um, can save uh, an employer anywhere between 20 and 30% of their musculoskeletal care costs. Yeah, and I think what's, what's interesting is when, you know, when I was participating in that bundled payment program, uh, what we found is the, the best way to reduce complications is to do surgery on the patients that are ready for surgery. So that means that they've um, kind of analyzed them from a clinical perspective. What are the risk factors? Getting those risk factors to be managed, which um, is really just better quality care. So I think what it really does is it gets the groups to focus on and incentivize uh, what is the proper orthopedic care. Um, is somebody ready for surgery? Uh, and it's it's interesting. I think in the study that uh, that we conducted, the top three complication reasons so why people would have a poor outcome are uh, weight. So if their weight was unmanaged, and this is BMI over 40, and then anxiety and depression, where those are the three compounding factors. If you had the big three, uh, you could almost uh, almost uh, guarantee that they were going to have some type of complication, and that would be a more expensive procedure. So when you get the clinicians aligned uh, from a reimbursement perspective, it seems like that really helps the whole model work a lot better. And it's it sounds like you know we're not we're we're experiencing a lot of different providers that are understanding that, and um, they do in these bundles uh, they do uh, make a significant amount of money. It just requires a little bit more work on the front end, but we're seeing great great results. So I think that uh, that's also something to be said. Um, so it's good. Um, so that kind of, when, when we're thinking about uh, that, it seems like it's a little more focused on general health. And I want to switch just a little bit to workers' compensation. Um, so looking at workers' compensation and orthopedics, what are some main things? And I know just some of the stats that, that I've kind of researched and we've done, uh, 60, per, 60 to 80 percent of injuries in workers' compensation are orthopedic. So do you want to just talk a little bit about the, the challenges and then what you learned at the IME company you work with? Yes, uh, that's a, another great question because um, we uh, did about uh, $15 million uh, of independent medical exams every year and, and compared to a $1 billion company, it's not a lot, but we were, <laughs> we were, the, we were the biggest company in Minnesota and actually in a, a five-state region had over 1,200 docs doing IMEs for us. Um, what's fascinating to me is uh, the legal aspects of uh, workers' comp, which of course is a huge problem for employers today. And the other uh, aspect of this uh, to kind of introduce the, the subject is, um, as part of my buyout from ValueMed, um, I have to do four to five IMEs a year and I'll be done uh, this next year for ExamWorks, which is this $1 billion company that does um, IMEs throughout the United States. And what I'm finding, uh, for example, looking at, uh, um, uh, for example, a company like Amazon uh, that has a lot of uh, lifting injuries, a lot of rotational injuries of lower extremities, overhead injuries to shoulders, back injuries, is that the care process is absolutely terrible. And the reason I say that is that uh, I've got about 25 of these cases I've kept notes on where they literally go to the um, uh, EMT that's on site. And that's how a lot of these Amazon fulfillment centers evaluate their patients originally. Then they go to the family practice doc who immediately puts them on narcotics then they go to a physical therapist or a chiropractor, 
And by the time three to four weeks rolls around with the patients not really getting better, you've got literally 10 to 20,000, sometimes even $30,000 of expense, even without a diagnosis. So what MD Direct did is we basically turned the process upside down. And what we do is we have a musculoskeletal specialist, which is an orthopedic surgeon on our staff, review a, a proprietary questionnaire, which every employee has to fill out. And then we review that with the patient. It doesn't take more than two to five minutes on the phone with a patient after looking at the proprietary questionnaire. If you've been doing this for at least three decades, which all of our orthopedic specialists have, to know that there may be something further going on here that needs a further workup. So what we've done is we have agreements with local MRI companies in the areas where we've done our pilots, where they will do utilizing a 1.5 Tesla scanner, which is a high quality scanner. Uh, they'll do a scan between $490 and $690. We also get a read from the Cleveland Clinic from a radiologist within 24 hours so we know if there's any objective evidence-based injury to that patient. The problem with family doctors is that they tend to just start treating a patient with narcotics, anti-inflammatories, physical therapy, or chiropractic care without truly knowing what's wrong with the patient. And what I believe very strongly, and what we've shown in our pilot studies, is that if you flip that upside down, get an objective, immediate diagnosis, you then know where to go with that patient. If there's nothing on the MRI, one physical therapy visit, a home program, back to work. On the other hand, if the patient has a massive tear of a cartilage in their knee, get them to the orthopedist, get that meniscal resection done, in other words, an arthroscopic surgery. I can get my patients back to work. I've done 15,000 knee scopes in my career. I can usually get them back to work within seven to 14 days after their surgery. So why would you have them go through physical therapy? Why would you have them on narcotics if they've got something that can be surgically cured almost immediately and get it done as quickly as you can? Not only is that a benefit to the employer, it's a benefit to the patient and it's giving high quality care. So that's the process we've utilized. In my experience in workers' comp, the faster you get to make the diagnosis, the faster you get the patient back to work, the more money you save. We've looked at claims analyses for some Amazon employees and found that you can spend $30,000 on a patient with a knee sprain, something that if anyone listening to this came into my office, I got an MRI and it was a grade one medial collateral ligament sprain, which is the ligament on the inner part of your knee. I put you in a brace and I'd say, get back to work in seven to 10 days and a little anti-inflammatory. And, and the brace would be about five to $600. Anti-inflammatories would be $30. Um, and there's really no reason you can't get back to work doing light duty within a couple, three days in full duty in 10 to 14. So you can see the differential in cost there. If you make the diagnosis accurately, get that patient back to work as quickly as possible. So that's really what we've learned through the IME evaluation, doing claims analysis, and getting these folks back to work as rapidly as possible. That's that's great, and it sounds like there's a lot of uh, a higher quality experience uh, in in those cases of getting somebody directly to uh, um, the specialist. Uh, one of the things I want to 
Well, I've, we've had a lot of questions around, say, if I'm a patient and I have an orthopedic injury, we can say either in workers' compensation or general health, what are, what are some things that I should be thinking about today? So if you, if you have an, uh, an orthopedic disease or a condition, say arthritis of the knee or arthritis of the shoulder, um, I really believe that the answer is get a diagnosis made as rapidly as possible. Some of the things that we've seen happen as patients with, say, partial rotator cuff tears. Rotator cuff is the, is the muscle that brings your arm up, like when you're reaching up to the second shelf to grab a plate. That's the muscle group you're using. When you go back to scratch the back of your head, that's the muscle group you're using. So if you're having some pain, if you're sleeping, if you're having some uh, low-grade pain, you really want to get that diagnosed because if it's a partial tear, we can treat it with a cortisone injection, perhaps one simple physical therapy visit for some lightweight exercises, place you on some anti-inflammatories, try to get you to avoid doing things that can make it worse. But if you don't know what it is, you could end up having a massive rotator cuff tear that involves surgery and potentially out of work for three months. So the bottom line is, I think it's, again, critical if you're a patient, let's find out what's wrong with you before we begin treating you. And that's a little bit upside down. When we talk to brokers, quite frankly, and we've, had, we've done a presentation, some, some of them look at us and say, well, that's just upside down. That's backwards with what we've been doing all these years. We've been trying to get patients to family physicians. We don't want to avoid the specialists because they're so expensive. The specialist experience does not have to be expensive. If you can get a low-cost MRI, even one visit to an orthopedic surgeon, potentially an injection, if they're not charging you $5,000 for the MRI. So the bottom line is accurate di diagnosis, accurate treatment, higher quality care. Yeah, that seems like it's a pretty simple uh, fix. In a lot of these cases, it, uh, we hear a lot about the complexity of the healthcare industry, but it, what we'll, I think what we've been hearing and what we see is just better care means uh, lower cost. Uh, so that's, uh, that's great. Uh, it seems like you've kind of been working. What are, what are some things that you want kind of with the future of healthcare? Just thinking about going forward. It sounds like immediate diagnosis. Is there anything else that you're thinking about uh, just changes that you see, uh, whether it's telemedicine or any of these other uh, modalities uh, of care? What are, what are you seeing as kind of the, the way that the industry is going to go? Yeah, I, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating. Nobody has a crystal ball in this, but, but I can tell you one thing. If, if we can figure out how to avoid um, uh, the overusage of surgery, number one, number two, uh, using more of a conservative care pattern, um, and trying to get every specialty to quickly diagnose and treat with the appropriate medicines. For example, um, there are some rheumatologic medicines for patients with rheumatoid arthritis. There's newer drugs coming out that are oral medicines. They're really one-tenth the cost of infusing uh, drugs, going into the doctor's office and having a $12,000 infusion. Um, I happen to have a son who's a rheumatologist. We were just talking about this the other day, and he has explained to me there's some abusive um, uh, types of care in his specialty as well, where 
a patient comes in and, and the doctor immediately thinks about an infusion of these $12,000, $14,000 drugs every three months where they can use an oral pill that's literally maybe $1,000 a month or $500 a month. And so the beauty of, of, the med, med, of medicine today is that there are newer drugs that are coming out that are more efficacious than some of the techniques we've used in the past. So I think to summarize, what do I see happening is we've got to get every specialty and MD Direct is trying to move in that direction where we have a cancer specialist on our board, where we, perhaps we have a rheumatologist or we have an ENT doc and we have spoken to ENT and they have told us that there's a huge cost savings that can be occurred by just simply a questionnaire and an interview with a patient without having to have a long drawn out um, evaluation or multiple office visits. So the future of medicine, in my opinion, if we can get it to happen and we need help from employers to design plans that encourage patients to go through to these various types of programs, go to these various specialists, utilizing an MD direct approach with a questionnaire with some type of subspecialist in order to afford significant savings. I believe strongly the only way this is going to happen is what something that Kaiser pioneered out in California five years ago, where they get rid of the $5,000 deductible for Walmart employees and Lowe's employees in Washington, Oregon, and California. And they'll fly you down to have your total joint with a $25,000 bundle. They pay for your airfare. They pay for your overnight stay and they ship you back. And if you do that to encourage you not to stay at your Seattle doctor or your Oregon or Portland, Oregon doctor, you don't have to pay that $5,000 deductible. The problem with patients and my own patients are the same way. They like their doctor, hopefully, right? <laughs> so they don't want to leave that doctor. But on the other hand, if you give them a huge financial incentive, Kaiser has shown they will go elsewhere. And that's what I think employers, TPAs, brokers, cost management companies have to design programs like that. That's the only way they're going to be able to manage that patient experience. Because again, patients get attached to their docs. They want to stay in town. But if you offer them not having to pay their five, $6,000 family deductible, they're going to start thinking about going elsewhere. And we've seen that in some of our pilots with patients willing to travel an hour and a half to get a total joint done, send them in an Uber, pick them up in an Uber, as long as they're, they get some significant cost savings. To make that happen nationwide, though, I strongly believe that patients have to have a significant financial advantage for this whole concept to work. Well, that sounds great. Thank you again today for coming on the podcast, and I appreciate your information. If we have any questions or thoughts from uh, the viewers, I'll put on in our show notes uh, a way to contact, and we can maybe circle back and answer some questions. Thanks again, Dr. Burt.